Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Starting in 2014, people talking about politics and talking about Scotland's future in pubs and on buses and in public forums. Brexit felt, living in Edinburgh, it felt like less of an issue. I remember sitting on the bus the day after the referendum with my husband and going, do we know anyone who voted for Brexit? Because we are in that bubble. I'm, I'm an academic. My husband's a civil servant. We live in a city. We live in a very international community. So we didn't really, I think it caught us by surprise. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. so excited about today's episode because it is five things you need to know about Brexit. Once again, there are probably more than five things embedded in our five things, but we're very attached to that idea of five. Before we start, we wanted to take a special moment to thank our new executive producers, Tracy, Cherry, Tim, David, Joshua, Linda, Martha, Melanie, and Tiffany. Oh my gosh, it is so amazing to have this big team of people supporting us and rooting for us and offering us ideas and wisdom 
and we cannot express enough our gratitude for your support. And to all of you who have stepped up on Patreon, we're just so excited. Thank you so much. You're going to hear from Michael today in the middle of the show about his Patreon support. We're so grateful for that. We also are so grateful for the feedback that we've received from Tuesday's episode, which has just been beyond anything that I could have imagined. And it's another thing that I can hardly talk about without getting teary. Yeah, the emails we've received especially from members of the LGBT community who reached out to us and said, either one, you're forgiven, which I don't even know what to say in the face of that amount of grace and just support. Or two, you being so honest about your own journey and then coming to such a place of support helped me deal with some of the breaks in my own family and some of the trauma I experienced upon coming out. And I just, it's such an incredible blessing to hear that. It's its such a big thing. Like, it's such a big thing to hold someone saying, your words help me deal with this trauma. I thought when we were doing the episode, like, I'm just telling my story as I often am on this podcast. And it's so easy to forget how powerful just an individual story of Becoming affirming like that, that can affect people and change people and help people and and invite them to reevaluate their own stories and journeys. And I just can't thank everyone who emailed us enough. There's still this little piece of me that feels sometimes like I'm being dramatic. There's this little tug at being kind of cynical or something in me. And when we were at Rachel Held Evans' funeral, which is something that I'm going to be thinking about for the rest of my life, again, not to be hyperbolic, but I will. It was it was just an event that I think changes a person. I walked out of that service thinking, don't let that little bit of cynicism water you down because look at what happens. Look at all of these people you're surrounded with who lived fully. And didn't censor themselves in any way. And so to have the conversation that we had, which was, no, it's not easy to talk about when you've been terribly wrong about something. And then to receive emails that say you're forgiven, which I think are probably the most powerful words we have in our language. And to hear from people saying, let me tell you even more about my experience and how I don't get to come out once. I have to come out constantly. And here are all of the ways, large and small, that this impacts my life. It just makes me feel like we're immersed in the most real work we possibly could be. And I am so thankful for that. And I am so thankful for all of you who don't stop yourselves from sending emails to two women who run a podcast, you know, I can imagine that Mm -hmm. it's really hard to be that vulnerable and open with strangers on the internet. And the fact that you keep showing up to do that, it just touches my heart and it, it changes me every day and it works on me. And I'm just beyond honored by what people have shared with us since Tuesday's episode. Now is the time that we shift from your incredibly positive life-affirming, soulful feedback to (laughs) the (laughs) soul-crushing Brexit situation in Britain. Now, 
Throughout these five things, you're going to hear the voice of Dr. Corey Brownswan. She reached out to us because she has a Ph.D. in devolution, which is the structure through which Wales and Northern Ireland and Scotland are a part of the United Kingdom. Okay, and she offered generously offered her time and expertise. And so we got to sit down and talk with her about Brexit. We're going to put the full interview on Patreon. But we wanted to pull out some of the pieces of her expertise that can offer another level of depth to these five things as we work through them. Thing number one, let's just go back to how the UK became part of the EU. So after World War II, there was a sense in Western Europe that we are better off together. And so a trade bloc formed and it rapidly expanded. America was supported of that bloc. The bloc really hinged on this relationship between France and Germany. And other countries saw how successful it was, how important it was economically and in terms of national security and wanted to get involved. And so the UK in 1961 made its first application to join what was then called the European Economic Community. The French president, Charles de Gaulle, was very concerned about this and vetoed that application. He thought that the UK would be just a puppet for America, and he was not excited about American influence in their trade bloc. In 1967, France vetoed the UK joining this bloc again. It took until 1969 for negotiations to begin. France had a new president, was more open to this. And so the UK, along with Denmark and Ireland, joined the bloc in 1973. And it was controversial within the UK at the time. The Labour Party wanted to renegotiate the membership. This was toned down, which I read on a British website and I thought was just a beautifully British way to say it. It was toned down to a referendum on whether the UK should stay in the economic community. So there was a referendum. There was a Brexit vote in 1975, just two years after Britain had joined the community. And 67% of British voters supported continued membership. Every county except two voted to stay in, and there was 64.5% turnout in that election. So it was a pretty resounding statement that we're going to continue to do this. And if you would like a lot more detail about the formation of the EU and how the European economic community transitioned to the EU and how it's governed today, there's a nightly nuance on that. So that gets us into the European Union. So Number two, let's talk about how we got to Brexit. So the referendum in 1975, like Beth said, was the last time that they voted on this. That was a long time ago. Now, the Labor Party, not to be confused with the Conservative Party and the party of Boris and Theresa May and all the lot that's kind of running the show right now, ran in 1983 on a platform of withdrawing from the European economic community. In 1997... A referendum party formed promising to hold a referendum on U.K. membership in the EU, but that party only won 2.6 percent of the vote and didn't win a single seat in Parliament. Now, there's increasing factors during this time that contribute to this sort of Euro skepticism on both the left with the labor and increasingly on the right. Okay, so first of all, the United Kingdom is an island or islands that have been politically and geographically insulated from lots of what's occurred in continental Europe. So it's a culture very distinct from continental Europe. There's this sort of sense that British is better than everybody else. Because the United Kingdom wasn't at the table 
very early in that process when they were setting up the EU. I think there was a sense always that they were kind of behind the curve. France and Germany has have a different legal tradition. It's not common law like rooted in English history. If you've ever been to Louisiana or taken the Louisiana bar, you know how different France's legal system is. So people had concerns that there was all this government spending and it was costing the United Kingdom to be a part of the European Union, not to mention, of course, immigration and the free flow of people from the European Union into the United Kingdom. So in 2012, then Prime Minister David Cameron, who's a member of the conservative Tory party, rejected calls for a referendum. They were growing. There was a U.K. independence party and everybody was getting frustrated. So he thought, "Okay, hold on. Maybe if I do this, it will kill all these naysayers. Right. We'll hold it. Everybody will vote to stay and we can stop talking about this. So he announced a year later that he would hold one if he won reelection in 2015. He won. And the European Union Referendum Act of 2015 passed to kickstart the referendum process. Six out of seven members of all parties across the left and the right voted for the referendum. Okay, so he didn't really want to leave. And when this referendum went through, it didn't so much quiet the naysayers as prove that there were more than people thought. I think it's really interesting to remember that Parliament passed that act to start the referendum because it's so easy to blame David Cameron Mm -hmm. singularly and he does have I mean, some he responsibility still deserves here. Some of the blame. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but everybody kind of thought, well, let's just do this, right? And so they did it. On June 23rd, 2016, every person of voting age in the United Kingdom was invited to answer this question. Should the UK remain a member of the European Union or leave the European Union? More than 30 million people voted. 71.8% turnout. Wow. And the vote was 51.9% to 48.1% in favor of leaving. So England voted to leave by a pretty wide margin. Wales voted to leave by about five points. Scotland voted by a huge margin to stay, 62-38. And Northern Ireland also voted by about 11 points to stay. That's the vote breakdown. We're going to hear from Corey a little bit about the dynamics in terms of how people voted. Starting in 2014, people talking about politics and talking about Scotland's future in pubs and on buses and in public forums. Brexit felt, living in Edinburgh, it felt like less of an issue. I remember sitting on the bus the day after the referendum with my husband and going, do we know anyone who voted for Brexit? Because we are in that bubble. I'm I'm an academic. My husband's a civil servant. We live in a city, we live in a very international community. So we didn't really, I think it caught us by surprise, but you do increasingly see it. Scotland, perhaps less so, um, because there was a much higher proportion who voted to remain, although 38% in Scotland still voted to leave. Um, But you do feel it, and it's all we can talk about. So there are lots of questions about why the Brexit vote turned out as it did, including allegations that Russia interfered. And we're going to hear from Corey again here about what that interference looked like. There was issues around Cambridge Analytica. There's some issues about campaign funding and funding for for the Leave campaign, um, where that money is coming from. We're seeing those problems as well. The, the Brexit party um, Nigel Farage's party, so basically UKIP 2.0, um, 
was receiving donations and there's quite strict campaign finance rules in the United Kingdom and there's questions about whether those donations were coming from abroad. Um, so it is, it was a very emotional debate and I think that's one of the challenges is because there was this very emotive, very quite masculine message of take back control on the campaign mm. to leave the European Union and the Remain side was saying it's it's harder to make an emotional argument. It's harder to appeal to the heart for the status quo. Um, and you had parties who very much disagreed with each other having to coalesce around a single message. And I don't think they really did so effectively. So the vote goes through. It is not what David Cameron thought was going to happen. And he resigned. Then our girl, Theresa May becomes prime minister. Okay, I just want to clarify because I get messages a lot this, about this on Instagram. By our girl, I do not mean I agree with everything Theresa May has ever done or will ever do. I grew to become increasingly sympathetic with Theresa May because of her doggedness in trying to do the right thing by this country in the face of ridiculous opposition and an absence of anybody else willing to step up and take on this hard job. So when I say our girl, Theresa May, it's really just about bless this woman who kept trying in the face of really, really difficult odds. Okay, so she becomes PM, promising that Brexit means Brexit. People voted for it. We're going to do it. Triggered Article 50, which is a clause in the Lisbon Treaty outlining the steps a country takes to leave the European bloc voluntarily. The Supreme Court of the United Kingdom held that Article 50 couldn't be invoked without an authorizing act of Parliament. So Parliament passed the European Union Notification of Withdrawal Act of 2017 in March of 2017. And Article 50 was invoked on March 29th when Theresa May sent a letter to Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council in Brussels, provided that the UK would be out by March 29th, 2019. So that's where we got that date from. It's because that's when Article 50 was invoked, basically starting the clock. Now, the clock has been extended twice, first by two weeks to April 12th, 2019, and then when they continue to vote down her withdrawal agreement, to October 31st, 2019. There are two possibilities in what Brexit means, probably a host of possibilities within each, but a hard Brexit is the idea that we just leave. And we don't have any agreement. We don't have any transition period. We don't provide any guarantees on citizens' rights of residence. In a hard Brexit, the concerns are that there could be shortages of produce and medicines because there is no trade agreement in place to keep things flowing as they are now. Trade would be conducted through the World Trade Organization, which makes the rules when countries haven't entered into free trade agreements with each other. That would be really significant because in 2017, 44% of all of the UK's exports went to the EU with no tariffs on them and no checks, basically uninhibited trade. Shifting to the World Trade Organization rules would be a huge change. There are schedules with the WTO for tariffs on goods and quotas, or limits on the number of goods that can be exported and imported. So cars, for example, when crossing the border between the UK and the EU, would have a 10% tariff. Agricultural tariffs will go very high, on average about 35% for dairy products. The British government is trying to plan for this and mitigate its effects, but the EU could insist on all sorts of checks on goods. Additionally, 
the UK will be on its own with all the other countries in the world. The EU has about 20 trade agreements just with the United States. The UK would want to replicate as many of those as it could, but it doesn't have a lot of power in that process. Now, it's a smaller economy coming to the table. It has proven itself through this Brexit process to not be great at negotiation. And so it's a tricky situation. If you have a hard Brexit, the UK is going to be left with a lot of work to do and maybe not a lot of power in that work, which is why so many people favor what is known as a soft Brexit. And that's what Theresa May has been working toward, getting a deal with the EU to ensure a smooth transition and to keep trade flowing. So that's the third thing you need to know. What we're negotiating is not the relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union forever. We're just talking about a transition period. The transition period runs through December 31st, 2020. So we have a withdrawal agreement 600 pages long covering only that transition period through December 31st, 2020. We want to give some stability, some transparency, some idea of what people have to look for and prepare for at the end of the transition period. Okay, so the European Union and the United Kingdom, as represented by Theresa May, come to that agreement in November. But they have to get Parliament to sign off on it, which they have rejected this withdrawal agreement three times. The first time... In January, it was 432 to 202, which is what we call a wallopin'. Then they did it again on March 12th and then March 29th, and that's when she was forced to go get an extension because, as we talked about, when Article 50 was invoked, it started the clock. It was supposed to run out on March 29th. We've gotten an extension. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come right back. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special, and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. 
And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. So what's in this withdrawal agreement, again, that only covers the transition period? Well, first of all, the U.K. will have to pay the European Union in order to break the partnership. Right now, that looks to be about $39 billion. We have issues with immigration. Under the withdrawal agreement that Theresa May negotiated, all European Union citizens living lawfully in the United Kingdom continuously for five years before 2021 would be able to stay. Close family members would be able to join, and children born to immigrants living in the United Kingdom would be protected. Those who have not been living in the United Kingdom for five years continuously before 2021 would be granted pre-settled status and could apply for settled status once they reach five years. You have, again, it's 600 pages, so you have customs agreements, education, dispute resolution, what happens when the United Kingdom and the European Union have a dispute. You have security because there is all this sharing of security information between the United Kingdom and the European Union. It's really important. So they would probably still require a special security treaty. But still, we're going to talk about how we're going to share all this data about terrorism and possible risk between each other. So you have this withdrawal agreement that covers the transition period that we can't get anybody to agree on. You also have the political declaration. Now, this is a shorter document. That deals with the relationship moving forward after the transition. Now, now this is not a binding agreement, but the idea is, okay, this is what we want the relationship to look for. Spoiler alert, we can't agree on that either. So there you go. Meanwhile, in Scotland. Meanwhile. (laughs) Nicola Sturgeon is the first minister of Scotland and the leader of the Scottish National Party. And she's thinking, I don't know that I want to be on this bus anymore. Mm -hmm. And so she's looking at holding another referendum, possibly by mid-2021, for Scotland to decide if it wants to be in the UK. The last vote on this took place in 2014. 55% of Scottish people voted to stay in the UK. 45% voted to leave. And following that vote, David Cameron realizes there's a problem here, and I probably need to give the Scots more of a seat at the table, but that really never materialized. We're going to hear from Corey here about the dynamics in Scotland surrounding the relationship with the UK. 
So one of the things that's really interesting is in 2016, the Nationalists said, if Scotland is taken out of the EU against its will by a Brexit vote, because we're the elections took place just six weeks before a, a vote on the European Union membership, um, they said, we'll have another referendum on independence. And this gives us mandate. Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of Scotland, of the SNP and first minister of Scotland, came out a few days after Brexit saying, we need to talk about independence. She's pulled back a bit um, because we haven't seen a sustained Brexit bounce. We haven't seen a sustained support, increase in support for independence um, since 2016. You've seen the polls move occasionally. You see a poll showing a slight majority. Um, so I think she's being quite cautious. I don't know how long she can hold off. I think if they form, if after the Scottish elections in 2021, they form another majority government. I think we'll have another independence referendum. In 2014, there were quite a few undecided voters. I think opinion has kind of, has solidified um, in 2019. One of the challenges is that Brexit makes independence more compelling. You can make the argument that Scotland's being pulled out of the EU against its will. Um, it shows a difference between voters in Scotland and voters in England, but it also demonstrates the difficulty in extracting yourself from a union. The relationship between the European Union and the United Kingdom is a much shorter, much looser relationship than the relationship between Scotland and the rest of the UK. So it demonstrates the difficulties there. So it is a bit of a conundrum. Um, we haven't seen, we've seen the polls maybe get slightly closer, but I really think it depends on if Brexit happens and what Brexit looks like. Okay, number four, the withdrawal agreement is not getting passed. And a huge reason for this is what's called the backstop regarding the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Okay, we're going to have to go way far back and scoop up a little bit of history so that we all understand what's going on here. Okay, so there was war in the early 1900s on the island that composes Ireland and Northern Ireland. Okay? It ends up being split up. Now, the sort of source of all this conflict historically has been a religious conflict between Catholics and Protestants. Okay, so we, we get the border, but the border, this border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So the Republic of Ireland becomes an independent country. Northern Ireland becomes a part of the United Kingdom. The border is then, beginning in the 1960s, a source of huge violence and conflicts. They call it the Troubles between 1968 and 1998. More than 3,500 people died in violence pitting mainly Catholic Republican gunmen seeking a united Ireland against the police, British soldiers, and mainly Protestant gangs defending Northern Ireland's union with Britain. Okay? So you have the people in the Republic of Ireland, mainly Catholic. They want the island to be one whole country. Then you have a small group of people in Northern Ireland that want to remain a part of Britain who are mainly Protestant. 
This is all playing out on land that is about the size of Indiana. The geography nerd just needs to insert. So So that gave me so much perspective, you know, thinking, especially I live in northern Kentucky on the border with Ohio. And I was thinking about what it would be like if I had to cross into another country effectively every time I travel to and from Cincinnati, which I do multiple times a week. And it feels to me like that's the situation for lots of people living in this area, right? When we say border, it sounds like something much more defined than what this border is. Yeah, it's a 310-mile border with about 200-plus crossing points. And right now, because at the end of these troubles in the 1990s, we had the Good Friday Agreement. And now the border is almost invisible. People pass back and forth. And here's Corey talking about this in a little more detail. Northern Ireland and the relationships with Ireland and the relationship between Ireland and the United Kingdom has made such incredible progress. So that peace process has worked. And that idea of introducing a border, which would divide communities, would divide families, would be a barrier to trade and regular cooperation, really seems like it would fly in the face of the Good Friday Agreement and all the progress achieved there. So there's people who commute across the border to work. There's The border is not a particularly logical border. It can cut through towns and villages. It can make it very complicated for people to move freely. And I think the ability to move freely without checks, without any sort of militarization, without the police, was really important in changing how people felt about Northern Ireland, about Ireland. Part of the Good Friday Agreement involved a promise of investment to rejuvenate the economy after all this bloodshed. But that investment has not materialized to the satisfaction of everyone living in this area. So many people in Londonderry still live in poverty. Its economy is growing more slowly than that of any other city in the UK. There is high unemployment, and you've had conservative government in the UK over the past few years slashing funding for social services, youth programs, and community policing. Austerity has really significantly impacted this area. So we have this basically open border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So everyone, the European Union, the Republic of Ireland, and the United Kingdom have concerns about a hard border because there would be checkpoints and because that was a source of massive violence during the Troubles. But here's the problem. The European Union says, cool, let's leave it an open border and treat Northern Ireland like it's still a part of the EU. To which unionist, the people that are very concerned with the united part of the United Kingdom say, absolutely not. That's an invitation to the people who want the reunification of Ireland to take back Northern Ireland. Okay, They say, cool, let's keep it an open border and treat it more like the United Kingdom, to which the European Union says, no way. The Republic of Ireland is a member of the European Union. And if we let you treat it like an open border, then what's to keep the European Union in place if it's not borders between EU countries and non-EU countries? Okay. Meanwhile, Theresa May has this history and this agreement with the Democratic Unionist Party of Ireland. It's all we can talk about. I think this is actually one of my major concerns about Brexit beyond the fact that we have no idea what's going to happen is that 
all we're talking about is Brexit. We don't know what's going on in terms of education and social welfare. I can't, the news is entirely subsumed with Brexit. Um, so you do feel it and you do hear stories of, of family arguments over Brexit, community arguments over Brexit. You've seen an increase in kind of attacks on people um, who are not from the United Kingdom. So there's been some really horrific kind of racist attacks and racist abuse. People told to go back to where they came from, go home. Um, you'll have to go now, home now that you voted for Brexit. So it's a similar kind of populist resurgence that you see in the States as well. We've had a lot of elections. And um, so there was the general election in 2015, the Brexit vote in 2016, along with elections and devolved um, governments a snap election in 2017, and then another, the European Parliament elections, because the UK didn't leave the EU in time to avoid those elections. So we're we're kind of inundated with elections and nothing really, it's funny when you think about it, nothing's really happened, so nothing's mm. changed since 2016, but the tenor, the political discourse has, has definitely changed. So the EU says, let's just have this backstop in place with no deadline. Theresa May says, no, we need a deadline or these Democratic unionists are going to be mad. They're still mad. Also, tensions are continuing to heighten because we have the murder in April of Lyra McKee, a 29-year-old journalist by the violent Republican group, the new IRA, during rioting in Londonderry. So you have really an impasse with both sides not wanting a hard border but not being able to come to an agreement about what an open border would look like and who it would benefit. And to be honest, and we'll talk about this a lot more on Tuesday, I'm not really sure how we see a way out of this. Which brings us to number five. Thing number five, life after Theresa May. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Theresa May has been an embattled leader throughout this entire negotiation process. And there have been times when she said, listen, if we get this deal done, I promise I'll resign. Look, just pass my deal and I will get out of your hair. She's had (laughs) votes of no confidence that she has survived somehow. But she has finally reached the point where nothing is happening. The withdrawal agreement was voted down again. There was just not a way forward. So she has resigned. As of today, June 7th, she is out. But unfortunately, Theresa May, who perseveres, has to continue persevering until there's a successor in place. So even though she is out, she will still have to act as leader. She'll have to face MPs at the prime minister's questions on Wednesday. She will probably have to go to the European Council and the G20 later this month. And let me just say, Theresa, I'm sorry. I am too. I'm so sorry, girl. So sorry. People who want to run for prime minister, and there are approximately as many of them as there are Democratic candidates for president in the United States, have until Monday, June 10th to submit nominating papers. So this is a contest among the Tories. This is not like, hello, public, let's elect a new prime minister. It is the conservatives still have a very fragile majority in parliament. And so they get to elect the prime minister. So there's this committee in the Tories that's in charge of the process. And they've been making new rules because they want this to go pretty fast and they need to whittle this field down. So new this year, each candidate needs the backing of eight MPs to even be part of the field. And then there's going to be a sequence of secret ballots over the following two weeks to cut the contenders down to two. The first ballot will be on June 13th. To survive that ballot, you have to get 5% of the votes. Second ballot will require 10% of the votes. Then there are going to be three more rounds. I think there are some good ideas in here, DNC. Just just (laughs) sharing. 
The final two candidates will be put to around 124,000 Tory party members on a one-member, one-vote basis, completed the week of July 22nd. So Teresa's got to hang for at least a month. Once the party has selected a new prime minister, then Queen Elizabeth will ceremonially ask that person to form a new government. If the winner cannot get the support of the MPs, which includes an alliance with the DUP that we were just talking about in Northern Ireland and unified Tories, which is going to be tricky because there are Tories who want a very hard Brexit and there are Tories who have said they will defect if a hardline Brexit person is elected. So if if the winner can't marshal everybody's support, then Jeremy Corbyn, as the leader of labor, is likely to call a no confidence vote which could precipitate a general election. So far, 11 people have declared their candidacy with more people interested in jumping in. So that is the process to get somebody new in the leadership seat to steer Brexit forward. And throwback to number four, the dupe party is basically going to have to come to another arrangement with whoever the next prime minister is. And so that means they're going to have to come to another agreement about the controversial backstop and whatever else they want as a very powerful voting bloc. The party's deal, the DUP's deal with conservatives, which was reached two years ago, comes up for review this summer. They had pledged to keep Theresa May's government in power in return for a billion dollars of extra funding for Northern Ireland. So, Beth, here's the question everybody wants to know as a part of number five. What happens after Theresa May? Can we stop Brexit? We could stop Brexit. The European Well, we couldn't because we're Americans, but the royal we. Yes, the royal we could stop Brexit in theory. The European Court of Justice ruled on December 10th, 2018, that the UK could cancel its Article 50 invocation without getting permission from the other 27 members of the EU and stay in the EU on existing terms if the UK's parliament so voted. That would be big. And that seems to me to be a really like if I'm one of the other 27 members, I'm a little bit over the UK at this point. If I'm Angela Mm -hmm. Merkel, I'm done. My patience is exhausted. So it is a big deal that they could just say, just kidding about the last two years. Just kidding. Take backsies. Yes. (laughs) But that would almost certainly involve another referendum in the UK. And let's hear from Corey about voter fatigue there. There's a joke that because polling... Typically, polling places are schools, and they're often closed for election days. So there's a joke that that schools are or are polling places occasionally used for education um, because <laughs> we have had the elections, and there's local elections, and there's kind of community things in addition to that, and then kind of the ever present idea that we might have another referendum on Scottish independence. So Sarah, you have a very profound conclusion about Brexit. Would you like to share it with everyone? Yes, when we were on the phone with Corey, a PhD. My analysis just kept coming back to, what a mess. Oh, my God, what a mess. Like, I want to have something more profound to say than that. And I'm going to try to think up something more profound for our Tuesday analysis. But what I'd like you all to ponder until Tuesday is, what a mess. So we will be back with you on Tuesday to discuss our thoughts about Brexit and the news that transpires between now and then. There will be some because... You know, it's 2019 in America. Never a dull moment. Thank you all so much for being here. Until Tuesday's episode, keep it nuanced, y'all.
Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Cherry Haas, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.